welcome to episode 45 of G.I. Joeberg, G.I. Joeburgers, where you'll hear all about G.I. Joes and Cobras and a bunch of other things that interest three South African G.I. Joe collectors. Tonight, or whenever you listen to this, you'll be joined by me, Robert. And me, Steve. And I, Paul, will also be joining tonight. Excellent. We're all joining together in, in, in a love for the toy collection. And tonight's topic is an interesting one, which was suggested to us by one of our listeners, David Cabal, on Twitter. His Twitter handle being dcabal90, with the 90 being numbers. And he thought, hey, here's an interesting topic for G.I. Joeberg. What if the Joes had a sub-team like the Suicide Squad? And what the Joes captured some Cobras, and they used them for expendable jobs. And what would we think about that? And yeah, what do we? Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> thank you, David Cabal. Yeah, thank you so much. Awesome. So, guys, any new news? What, what's happened with you guys recently? I, I just finished with uh, South Africa's um, only video gaming convention. It's called Rage. It's all the Rage here in SA, <laughs> or South Africa's equivalent to E3 and SDCC smooshed together. You don't get either of those conventions in their full force, action force reference there. Rather, you get kind of a diluted San Diego Comic-Con and a fairly respectable E3 kind of experience. Uh, Fewer the- boobs. <laughs> Fewer yeah, that's boobs. the one question I got for you. Are, 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 they, are they like cosplay girls all over the place? There are tons of cosplay girls. Friday's usually a, a bit of a slow one for the cosplayers. It was also pretty hot here on Friday. But um, Saturday started off with some overcast weather, which generally means the cosplayers come out of the woodwork, uh, mostly because it's easier to wear the costumes when it's not as hot. And yeah, I believe Saturday was full of cosplayers. If it was anything like last year, it probably had well over 100 cosplayers, uh, either professional, amateur, or just um, half-assing it. But um, yeah, that hobby is getting very big in South Africa. People dressing up as um, their favorite anime characters, movie characters, video game characters. And uh, no G.I. Joes yet, but yeah, what's this face? I never thought that Leia with the you know, donut ringlet hairdo in the white billowy costume from A New Hope. I never thought that was a hot look until I saw it cosplayed. Wow. Wow. This chick yeah. did it justice and beyond. I mean, Carrie Fisher couldn't have hoped to do better, even at the tender age of 17 or however old she was, was in 1977. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Some of them are very attractive girls. They do a good job with their costumes, and they do a good job with, um, you know, putting out the character. They, they're very good little actresses in their own right when they're cosplaying. Some of them, um, having judged a few of these competitions myself, some of them have been quite outstanding, actually, and some have been, well, you know, there's always room for improvement. And um, then, of course, this year, were, there were plenty of booth babes, you know, a lot of women scantily clad in uh, tight leather suits and weird things to kind of draw the... Uh, unwitting computer user and video gamer to the stand of choice some of them were great some of some of them were like tastefully done some of them were ugh. 
But I have to say, this year had some pretty fantastic stands. The stand design was was way out there. There was a Nintendo stand that was a lot of fun. They set it up really well. There was a Mortal Kombat stand uh, promoting the new Mortal Kombat that will be coming out next year. Mortal Kombat 10 or Mortal Kombat X, X, X. And they had a Scorpion, a guy dressed up as Scorpion, and he was taking selfies with... Come with, over uh, here! Yeah, come over here. <laughs> yeah, get over here. And uh, he was uh, taking selfies with uh, the attendees. So uh, him and I did a, like, a bit of a photo shoot. Uh, Mishy was taking the photos. So they're, they're not the best. Sorry, Mish. But I, I've got a trainer and some photo foo. But uh, yeah, I did a fatality pose actually where I was all like drowsy. And then he like was about to take off the mask to, to do the incineration. And then we did a round uh, one fight. So we, him and I were both in like the starting position. So that was quite cool. Other than what that, was your stance? Cat. I did... I did a Hungar stance, yeah, Tiger Crane stance. And it's quite funny because this guy is quite tall, so that stance is quite low. So <laughs> it's quite interesting. It's quite a juxtaposition in terms of... Go for of the legs! Things. Yeah, go Might be your only chance of stopping them. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Other than that, obviously at these shows... Okay, not obviously. For our listeners out there who have never attended a convention in your life, and I'm sure that is maybe 0.5% of you, uh, there were many places selling hobby wares and selling cool stuff, uh, you know, uh, action figures, collectible card games, uh, artwork, comic books, anime, you know, what have it, you name it, it's there. And uh, for me, two surprising little things jumped out, three surprising little things that I'm going to make a note of here. Uh, Hot Toys uh, had a booth there, which was the first, and it was really cool to see a lot of the Hot Toys figures in the flesh and not just through the eyes of my computer monitor and uh, I have to say the photos do not do ca- uh, figurines like Iron Man justice that is one hell of a sweet toy wow I'm 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 not quite moved enough to get one for myself because Iron Man's Iron Man and it's the same price as a games console <laughs> but if I liked Iron Man just a smidgen more I would feel very tempted uh, surprisingly a lot of G.I. Joe stuff um, when I say a lot, uh, I mean 0.5% of the entire show had some G.I. Joe content in the form of Storm Shadow and Roadblock as Hot Toy figures representing their movie likenesses in the uh, Hot Toys fashion. Roadblock, I have to say, is Rock pretty block. impressive. Rock Block. The Rock Block. Looked pretty decent. Very cool toy. I would still not get it because, yeah, let's just still not get him. He's cool. Storm Shadow had my interest peaked. He looks really great out of the box. So for those of you listeners out there who are tempted by a Hot Toys movie version Storm Shadow, yeah, gets my seal of approval. And I got 14 of these damn dollies. So you can take my word for it. It's a, it's a good toy. And then we had some Robocop stuff. Uh, some of the Avengers were there. Batman was there. Predators were there. The Predators are pretty outstanding as well. They had a... Scarlett Johansson, obviously, is Black Widow. (laughs) And is it Black Widow? Yeah, it's Black Widow. There's so many Black Widows, Black Canaries, Black Cats. But she looks really good. Uh, They've done her hair really well. I've always been skeptical about that sort of realistic hair. And they pull off that likeness very well. The hair and the facial likeness work well together. It doesn't look like Scarlett Johansson with doll hair. So that was really cool to see. I found a 12-inch bazooka. I can't quite nail down the line that it's from, but it's a very visually articulated line. Um, by that, I mean that the articulation is, is not hidden. It's very apparent. It is not a new line. I'm sure it's a four- or five-year-old toy. 
he was pretty cool. He was 200 bucks. I felt tempted just to get it because, hey, you know, you don't often find G.I. Joe stuff in the wild. But it's still Bazooka. And it's still a 12-inch figure that's not quite the same quality as what I've got. And it's going to look like a sore thumb in my collection. So I decided that it could be somebody else's precious find. Aren't they uh, the Gentle Giant figures? Aren't they doing the classic run? They are doing a classic run, but if it was not those. I did, however, see the oversized Star Wars um, stuff, which I quite dig. I dig it so much that I'm excited for that oversized G.I. Joe line that they're going to do. Um, I'd pinch one or two of those. Seeing them in the flesh gave me hope for that line going forward. Uh, aside from that, there were Gundam Toys, the Robot Damashi, or otherwise known as the Robot Spirits line. A little bit, I wouldn't say overpriced, fairly priced. No mobile suit there was mind-blowing enough for me to pick one up to drop the, the the cash on and although i was going to do it i turned away from it at the very end they have the dc universe two packs which are based on the injustice video game and that features characters like green arrow versus uh deathstroke uh solomon grundy and wonder woman and those are the only two sets i can remember i'm sure there was another one but uh, i was very close on pulling the trigger on a green arrow and uh deathstroke uh, combo, but at 450 bucks for the two toys, and not really having had a close enough look at them, I couldn't quite justify the purchase. But I do have the details for the guys, so if I change my mind, I might pick them up. That would be some of my highlights in terms of the sort of toy paraphernalia and, and the kind of stuff that we go for at uh, at Rage. Other than that, yeah, great show, busy. <laughs> I, I worked um, at my friend's store over the weekend, and that was pretty intense as well. I mean, everybody that couldn't get stuff from Rage spilled over into Anime Works on the weekend, and ooh, it got intense <laughs> in a good way. One thing I do love about Rage, and it's when you work in a retail space for a while, and you do conventions on a yearly basis, there is a group of people you are always going to see, and you only ever see them at conventions, so they're, like, they're your convention buddies. And it was great to see a lot of my convention buddies, uh, people I don't often see and that come that drive long distances just to get to Rage. I'm talking about from from different provinces, some fly up from Cape Town and Durban for it. It was great to see them, great to see those faces, cool to see those guys are doing well. One of the things that stood out for me at Rage, and I did get the details, obviously 3D printing is becoming quite a big industry. And uh, there were guys that were exhibiting... Um, 3D printing, and I spoke to them about getting 3D printed uh, parts made for the Joes, and they are reasonably affordable, and I can finally do something that I've been wanting to do forever and get likenesses of the G.I. Joe Berg team made in 1 to 18 scale, at least the heads, and maybe some wow. removable helmets and stuff done um which is pretty awesome so we can have our own three figurines or take our favorite three modern era sculpt figures at least and uh switch the heads out which is something pretty cool so at least steve can have a uh shockwave with a better head because <laughs> it'll be his <laughs> the best head ever. ever and a falcon we can get you know steve if he wants he can be falcon you know we can do that so that's something that piqued my interest and got me quite excited over this uh, weekend. I was really excited to see that. So yeah, custom Joe heads for us, hopefully in the future. And I was interviewed by Nintendo. <laughs> what? I was, yeah, I was casually standing by the Nintendo store taking photos of the uh, Nintendo Amiibos, which are 
miniature, miniature figurines, much in the same vein as Skylanders, but the difference is you don't buy a portal. You just put them on the Wii U controller, and you can uh, download uh, stats and, I don't know, special unlockables and things like that. But they had Link, and uh, I'm very excited about the, the Amiibos personally because I'd love to have a Link and a small Samus minifigure. And, uh, yeah, lo and behold, uh, one guy, like, touches me on the shoulder. He's all like, hey, do you want to do an interview about Nintendo stuff? And I'm like, yeah, that would be totally cool. And he's, uh, have you done this kind of thing before? Are you feeling a bit nervous? I'm like, no, no, I'm used to cameras. And he shows me the questions, and he interviews me, and it went really, really well. And they were very excited, and his producer was there with him and gave me a Nintendo Snapback cap. Wow. So, hmm. cool. <laughs> so, that's pretty exciting. I don't think uh, I've ever seen you wear a cap, Paul. I don't. Yeah. Uh, I, I would never own a snapback, but hey, I've got one for free. It says Nintendo. I suppose that's so possible. So it'll wind up doing what? It will go with my gaming, my games collectibles. Uh, I've got a lot of collectibles from games, so I keep them all together in a in a place. Uh, when hopefully one day, Mission I well, when Mission I move out, uh, we are looking at sort of decorating the house with our geeky collector's passion. And yes, there will be little shrines. I will have the Batman shelf and the Gundam stuff and the Joes and you know, and she'll have her collectibles, her Saint Seiya figures and her Yu-Gi-Oh stuff, and you know, and that'll be cool. It'll be cool to have that because it looks quite. I, I think it looks really nice. I've seen some great pictures online of guys with their collections in a very manageable situation where you can actually walk in there and go, "Holy shit, that's really well done!" and actually pretty chic. <laughs> so. That actually is quite timeless because I. Just today, watched Form BX 257's latest video dealing with uh, his collection room and how he displays his G.I. Joe toys. And it's, uh, mm. it's impressive. Uh, he deals mainly with the, the 82 to 85 toys. There mm. are a few 1986 toys. I mean, you can't leave out the Terradrome, the Night Raven, and the Tomahawk, of course. But uh, it's very tastefully set out in a room that... Yeah, I'd say probably like 30 square meters, less. 25 wow. maybe. Mm. That's pretty cool. Even room in the middle for a USS flag, which he assures me is not a permanent fixture because I suppose maybe maybe there's a bed in that room. Hey. <laughs> I wouldn't mind bedding down with my collection surrounding me like that. Oh, wait. I already do. <laughs> oh. Oh, an interesting thing I, I discovered a few hours ago, the 11th and 12th of October was the weekend for Rollout Roll Call, which is the UK Transformers G.I. Joe Action Force show, which took place in Southampton. So, shout out to everyone in Britain who went to that. Lucky people. Rollout. <laughs> yeah. Cool. It sounds very cool. I mean, I, uh, just looking at the... the you know their panels and stuff that they that they're doing, and one of them was deconstructing Silent Interlude, which is quite cool. And they even had a session, uh, Joe Declassified with Gary Guy Viper Head. They had a designing action figure session with Boss Fight Studio, um, and a whole bunch of other things, and even a cosplay contest. The, the, the deconstructing uh, the Silent Interlude was that handled by Larry Homer? Yes, with Larry Homer. I think he did the exact same panel in 2009 at uh, at JoeCon. That is very cool. It's cool yeah. that he kind of gets around and he kind of like <laughs> spreads the the knowledge. It's clearly a presentation that he's very well practiced at, because whether you're a GI Joe enthusiast, a comic book enthusiast, or just interested in fan culture in general, 
the silent interlude was kind of a game changer. So yeah, no, I mean we've we've mentioned it countless times on on, on the podcast, on podcast like how alone. incredible yeah. this this uh, comic is. Mm. So I think that's that's quite cool. So I hope everyone in in Britain who was there went to it and had fun. And it is in the spirit of issue twenty one, silent interlude, that I go forth into the world of Dio story writing. Ah. But uh, I'd like to insist that my Dio's are. Very dialogue sparse. We'll see oh. if I, Wordy Steve, can adhere to that maxim. Will Steve be the silent <laughs> master? Find out soon on G.I. Joburg. It's tough, but I've seen enough Wordy Dio stories out there to remind out. me that uh, <laughs> economy of words is... Is something that we should all prioritize in our writing. <laughs> and it's a visual form. It's like comic books or um, show don't film. tell. Simple as that. Exactly. That there's a picture. People can infer things from the picture. You know, sort of movement and action and what's going on. You don't have to like put everything into their mouths and don't. And don't pull let's it up face little, facts. Uh, I you know I can spin a few words together, but I'm no Hemingway, so don't. Yeah, thank you. Hey, but like Hemingway, you could just throw, if you really wanted to, you could throw a tip of the iceberg paragraph, maybe. Maybe Or a mean right cross. Yo. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'd I'd say maybe throw in a few, like three or four lines, maybe as an introductory paragraph, and and cue visuals. Visuals. Yeah, you could even do that. Visuals. Let the visuals speak for themselves. But sometimes having the small paragraph in the beginning allows the audience to find the, what is it, the mise-en-scene. <laughs> but, uh, um, yeah, that could be interesting. I hope Steve doesn't get cross with me. I have seen one or two of these pictures, and uh, it's something I'm excited to see in HD, as in on full computer screen, because they are quite exciting, actually. There's a good dialogue there so far. I, I know what's going on. But, uh, yeah, good luck to you, Stevie, on that one. That's cool. I need to send you some more. I recently mm-hmm. just got myself a Photoshop, so hopefully these things will fall into place for me. Hells, yeah. And, Robbo, Ooh. what's happening in your camp, bro? Uh, nothing much, eh? Um, that's probably the only new thing that's kind of started recently is I've started game master, game mastering. I've become DMing. a game master for... <laughs> The game master for a Pathfinder group. What is game master? Uh, is that like a is that like a hipster way of saying DMing? Like I was game yeah, mastering DMing. when everybody was DMing. Well, <laughs> well I think well, dungeon master know, originally with, associated with Dungeons and Dragons. That's right. Um, so I mean, it's a game master, dungeon master, you know, storyteller is another way of putting it. So that's probably the biggest thing that's happened recently. I started doing that. Been a few bumps in the road. Uh, I don't know all the rules and stuff yet, but I've had a good experience so far. Oh, that's cool, man. Uh, DMing is always and and for the for our listeners, I'm gonna say DMing, okay? Because I played yeah, AD and D, cool. and D and D, and I just know Dungeon Masters, okay? And uh, <laughs> how cool I am is up to you, whatever. But uh, that is quite a difficult thing to do. It requires uh, 
quite a, a strong imagination and quite a good knowledge of of the world that you're telling the story in. And like yeah. Rob has said, it's it's pretty tricky. Uh, it's it's full of hazards. You know, you can make mistakes with rules and MacGuffins fall all over the place. And if you add alcohol, well, then those sessions get really really dangerous. But yeah, that's really great. I mean, I, I've always found one of the the most positive things to take out of role playing. If you run into friends of yours that you maybe did some role playing with, well, RPG gaming with, so that doesn't sound like a sex cult. You meet them two years down the line, and you know you have nothing to say to each other other than, oh, remember that time when you opened the treasure chest, and then that snake jumped out at you, and it was so funny how Larry's character, I can't remember his name, was Nightwolf far eyes or something and he he like snagged that snake and made you invisible and we jumped out the window that was that was that was a good times and you're like you know what i mean that's how those conversations go and that's really cool I, i've always found that you know how, how people have kind of written their memories based on on their experiences based with these on these cool experiences they had together and i mean I even got steven involved uh he was involved in our most recent session sweet are yeah. you rolling the dice are you learning how the dice hate you uh, I did all right with the dice, I must say. Uh, everything kind of unfolded as it should, though we didn't have very stiff competition. Rob, as Game Master, selected some rather easy um, creatures for us to face off against. Oh, Definitely wow. easy creatures, but I mean, we spent basically, I don't know, four hours trying to kill like six kobolds, which are exceptionally low creatures. But yeah, the dice might not have been bad for Steven, but the dice were really bad for me and for the rest of the players. I mean, All right. they hardly hit anything for forever. Steven, uh, however, was his own worst enemy because, you know, I guess there's an unspoken rule that if you disturb some kind of creature and it starts attacking you, you do not run away from the creature thinking, oh, let me leave you alone. You're a sentient life form. I'm not going to slay you. No, you just roll the dice and hack the little critters in half. But, no, <laughs> I know this I, now. No, I mean, you, you, you're role-playing. I mean, it, it's it's cool that you had your own ideas and, and you're thinking for yourself. I mean, definitely exactly. that a situation like that doesn't have to be handled. Like, yes, those are creatures, um, they've started attacking, we have to kill them. Um, not necessarily always, but I mean, I think in, in general, like, like the idea of alignments and stuff where like you, your if your group is good and they are evil then you kind of have to wipe out evil almost we tended to get stuck on uh, the idea that the one player was constantly trying to see the other player's breasts uh, yeah that yeah, always happens that sort of thing yeah that sort of thing is, is going to creep in there but I think this segues really nicely into our topic because we're going <laughs> to be it? coming up with yeah I mean we're going to be coming up with some uh, some fiction of our own and uh, yeah, Rob's going to be rolling the dice on this one for us this evening. It's um, his it's his topic with David Table. Cabal with their powers combined. <laughs> Definitely. If anyone is wondering actually what what Suicide Squad is, if there are some people out there who who don't read comics, I'm sure there are. At least the version of the Suicide Squad that we're talking about was a reimagining of the team created by John Ostrander and Ryan Scott. And it first appeared in Legends number three in 1987. And the basic concept for the team is that they're a team of supervillains who go on black ops missions in exchange for commuted prison sentences. So basically, it's like 
these are jobs that we that you know like superheroes would go wow that's not good we have morals and basically the government needs these things to get done so they use these supervillains they send them out there and they do and they, they do these almost impossible oh, missions yeah yeah wet work basically these almost impossible missions hence suicide squad because the likelihood of them even returning is is very very slim and the team was run by Dr. Amanda Waller, a, a, a quite um, curvaceous uh, African-American woman, very stern lady. Over the years, the team has included lots and lots of different supervillains from the DC Comics universe, including Blockbuster, some people you wouldn't know, and uh, Bronze Tiger, Captain Boomerang, Deadshot, as well as Count Vertigo and Poison Ivy. And the original run of the comics, when they brought out their own self-titled comic, ran for 66 issues from May 1987. And there have been many different variations or incarnations of the team, including a New 52 team. Two years ago, DC rebooted their continuity, and they even have a team in the New 52 version of DC's comics. And that team even included Cheetah, Harley Quinn, Black Manta, and Deathstroke. And also, yes. very recently, DC has released an animated feature film, which also features the Suicide Squad, uh, with its own blend of characters. Deathstroke is one of them. So it is worth checking out if you don't want to go and pluck through your comic boxes for back issues. If you want to get a refresher <laughs> on that, check out that film. It's pretty new as well. Uh, it's not yeah, the best, but it gives you a good idea. Yeah. yeah, Batman Assault on Arkham. That is correct. I'd like but, to drop in an audio bite of Lee Marvin's speech from the Dirty Dozen. Major Reisman, you are ordered by Allied Command to select 12 general prisoners, convicted by courts martial and sentenced to be executed or serve lengthy prison terms for murder, rape, robbery, and other crimes of violence. And you will deliver them secretly behind enemy lines in France to undertake a mission of sabotage that could change the course of the war. The 12 men will be known as the Dirty Dozen. Lee Marvin as Major John Reisman. You've all volunteered for a mission which gives you just three ways to go. Either you can file up in training and be shipped back here for immediate execution of sentence, or you can file up in combat in which case I will personally blow your brains out, or you can do as you're told, in which case you might just get by. We go on that mission, we all get killed. That's what they want! That's what they want! Push it! Train them. Excite them. Arm them. And turn them loose on the Nazi High Command. Nice. I think that encapsulates what the Suicide Squad does quite eloquently, actually. Um, my like brushes with the Suicide Squad have been very light, but I do very vividly remember cherishing a couple of issues of Suicide Squad when I was a very, very young child and thinking to myself, well, I've never heard or seen any of these characters before, but they flat out rock because they are super violent. They are just slaying bad guys, getting bloodied. I mean, it was part of an arc called the Janus Directive and in it a guy called Manhunter who ostensibly is crossed between Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow because you can see his face but he wears black anyway he's a ninja he kicks the ass of some dude called Cobra with a K 
oh, yeah. on some That's space eBay. station. And I just thought this is way cool. Meanwhile, there's like a nuclear missile streaking towards them uh, from Earth because this poses a massive threat to the world. But Captain Atom manages to stop the nuke. I mean, it's just all hell is breaking loose. Guys like Peacemaker just wading into Cobra's followers with machine guns. I mean, what more could I ask for? A team title with a bunch of expendable dudes all doing extremely violent activities that I wasn't used to seeing in a comic book where I was my previous points of reference were like Superman and the Flash. So yeah. very exciting. How does this tie into G.I. Joe? What would you tell us, Rob? So we're wondering, and so is David, basically what would a version of that be like in the G.I. Joe universe? Say G.I. Joe has a bunch of Vipers, Cobra troops, the Cobra with the sea troops that they have captured and they decide that they're going to use these guys and put them on missions. So what we're trying to figure out tonight, is this something that G.I. Joe would actually do? What is the validity of such a team in this universe? Like in what circumstances would G.I. Joe send out a team of Cobras? And we're each going to kind of suggest Cobra troops that we think would, would do good on a team like this or, you know, like, what, what troops would be interesting to see on a team like this? What type of missions would they be sent on? And, yeah, just basically try and explore the idea of a Suicide Squad in the G.I. Joe universe. Bish, bash, bosh. Who's going to get the ball rolling? I'll go first. How about that? While I was thinking about this, I was trying to think, like, what would motivate a person to kind of, like, turn against their own organization? And the types of vipers that I eventually kind of, like, settled on were kind of the figures and characters that came out later in the line, especially in some in sort of like the nebulous period between vintage and modern, where like things were starting to get really far out, and like Cobra was genetically experimenting on their their troops. And I was just thinking, yeah, obviously initially they all, a lot of them sort of willingly submitted to these genetic experiments. But perhaps some of them later regretted that decision and having been captured in some way or allowing themselves to be captured by Joe, perhaps now they kind of want to make up for that or get revenge on Cobra. <laughs> so a few of these troops that I thought would be interesting on a team like this, um, or at least a few of them that stood out, would be perhaps some of the, the later period uh, Neo-Vipers, which were originally introduced in 2002 who are genetically engineered like the next generation of Vipers, like these are the new guys. So they're the newer Vipers, and then perhaps even Toxo Vipers, you know, the guys sort of thrown into those suits, those sort of leaky suits, the leaky suit brigade, mm -hmm. exposing themselves to these exceptionally um, hazardous environments. And, I mean, there has to become a point where you kind of, like, you say, no more, I don't want to do this anymore, but you can't. You're part of this sort of, clandestine organization, the sort of, I mean, who, who do you go to when, you, when you're upset? You know, like, hey, I don't want to do this mission anymore. Well, can't go to the government. We're, you're, we're terrorists. So a few of those sorts of, like, disgruntled guys who kind of are regretting these, these things they allowed to be done to them. And in general, like, most of the Cobra troops, you know, they kind of go, or at least originally before they started with these versions of, of Vipers that were genetically engineered. I mean, there were lots of Vipers that kind of went willingly into sort of special training, kind of like, you know, not SEALs, but many of the specializations of Cobras were, you know, they went to rigorous training to become what they were. 
but you also, don't think by virtue of that they're true believers. Yes, definitely, I think so. That's that's why. What do you think? Because they went through the genetic mutations. Yeah, like a cult type thing. They are as cobra brainwashed as you're likely to get. I don't know. Well, definitely. Throwing the cat among yeah. pigeons, there, buddy. No, I think I think definitely the majority of them would. I mean, they they volunteered for these procedures, but I mean, there must come a point where you kind of start thinking to yourself, what have I done to myself? Or at least that's what I think, you know. I mean, there won't be a lot of them. I mean, this is a very small percentage. And another group of uh, vipers that I thought that, that would be good deserters or whatever sort of suicide squad people would come from would be desert scorpions. Because desert scorpions are basically their under-motivated vipers, as the file card says. And they're kind of sent out in the desert, and if they survive, basically, hey... Yeah, you're you're back with us. You've proved yourself, um, and that's kind of like the the dirt squad. You know, they send Get them to out wear there. blue again. Yes, you 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 know you made it out there. I mean, they, a lot of those guys have got to have a lot of issues with Cobra. You know, being sent out there and like ah, why are we out here? So my suggestions for people on the Suicide Squad would probably be yeah, a Neo Viper, there's a Scorpion, Toxo Viper. So those would be my my top three picks for people that would make it onto this team, mm. basically. Very good. Very cool. Yeah. I'm going to go with my first pick would have to be Slice and Dice. Ah. Because they seem to me like they don't really have much allegiance to anything at all. From what I can gather, Slice himself is a renegade ninja, allegedly from Storm Shadow's own clan. So he turned his back on Storm Shadow and the Arashikage clan to join Cobra ostensibly, but he doesn't really have any invested interest in Cobra. Similarly, Dice used to be a Night Creeper and was kicked out for being too evil. These guys are basically Ronin, <laughs> and I think they are the biggest sadists of the G.I. Joe universe. Any way they can murder, kill, and maim, they are happy. And that's a line that the G.I. Joe Ninja Force are not prepared to cross. So Slice and Dice would be an asset to G.I. Joe in that they could do some of the dirty work that even G.I. Joe's own ninjas would sneer at, turn up their noses at. So assuming you could find leverage on Slice and Dice, I think that could be quite a potent weapon. Next up, Overkill. (laughs) Overkill is just a synthetic being. If you can effectively reprogram him, you could make him a tool for good. So if Mainframe could crack that sucker open and get him to shoot blue instead of green, Overkill <laughs> all of a sudden becomes a very expendable and very potent weapon to use against his makers. So there's that. And also, <laughs> it's not likely that you'd want to deploy Overkill uh, alongside your G.I. Joe team. Even if he has been reprogrammed, he's still a battle android trooper, effectively. So I don't think Hawk's going to get that reckless with his own team. So he'd send Overkill in with Slice and Dice and the rest of the Cobra Suicide Squad uh, because he doesn't really care too much about what happens to those sadistic sons of bitches. Next up, Monstro Viper. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. What? (laughs) Forget that shit. I was about to ask... You mentioned Toxo Vipers. Well, yes. I'll see your Toxo Viper and raise you 
the Toxo Zombie. There is a worse fate, my friends, than walking into a hostile environment wearing a anti-solvent suit made by the lowest bidder, and that is called becoming a Toxo Zombie. Too much exposure to bad wastes, noxious chemicals, and other uh, radiological materials will cost you your humanity, and you will become a lifeless, or not quite lifeless, an undead creature. And Toxo Zombies, once again, would be perfect in a Suicide Squad setting because they're effectively already dead. (laughs) If you could sick them on Cobra, fantastic. Just put a rifle or a blunt instrument or a gouging tool in their hands and send them into a Cobra base or Cobra HQ or Cobra installation. They don't really pick sides anymore. So if you can rustle up a few, maybe attach them to a giant leash and <laughs> and let uh, let overkill, you know, whip them. You can have them breathe uh, toxic fumes and and uh, other infectious, uh, I don't know, nasty stuff all over their opponents. So I mean, it, you don't even need to kind of sell this concept to them. You just have to point them in the right direction. And I'm pretty sure Cobra doesn't really want them around either. So, you know, it's all a case of just throwing the rattlesnake into the room. Figuratively. Mm. Lastly, I'm going with a guy who doesn't really have um, much desire to be in Cobra to begin with. And he'd be the kind of leadership figure of the Suicide Squad because he is a bit of a, uh, a bit of a brainy kind of character, a bit of a behind-the-scenes kind of character, but certainly he'd be the brains of the operation because, God knows, Slice and Dice, Overkill, and Toxo Zombie aren't going to be doing too much of the the heavy lifting when it comes to, I don't know, strategy. But Crystal Ball. The reason I chose Crystal Ball initially was because I was trying to think of things that the G.I. Joe team didn't have. They didn't have two completely ethically uh, unslanted ninjas. They didn't have a robot. Well, they got Robo Joe, but I'd rather not think about him. They didn't have a zombie, and they didn't have a master of mind control, or a cobra hypnotist, as it were. Now, the most fascinating thing that I turned up in my research about Crystal Ball, as I mentioned before, is that he didn't really want to be in Cobra to begin with. Uh, This is from his prototype dossier. Codename, Trance Master. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> Alternate names, Professor Id, Mesmeron, and The Gazer. <laughs> okay, but shut up. I'm getting serious now. A one-time theatrical hypnotist and encyclopedia salesman, Trance Master, <laughs> had traveled to India to find new inspirations to spice up his act. In a remote mountain village, he was taken in by an evil band of occult priests who taught him an ancient and terrible form of hypnosis and mind control. Returning to the West, he used his new powers to subvert and take over large corporations until his activities conflicted with similar Cobra operations. Realizing that Cobra was too big for him to tackle alone, Trance Master decided rather to join them than to fight them. If you saw a photograph of Trance Master, you'd think he was a mousy little unimposing wimp. If you met him face to face... You'd walk away impressed by the dynamic personality and dashing good looks. 
you might also find that you had purchased an encyclopedia for some unknown reason. Love that. <laughs> what a terrific bit of writing. That's awesome. And it becomes very evident that Transmaster actually wanted to take down Cobra, but instead decided, yeah, you can't beat them, so join them. His goal was corporate takeover, and that was Cobra's goal. And so they had a shared goal, so they joined forces. But if he really wants to monopolize his operation, surely if he could enlist the aid of a group that is bent on taking down Cobra, that would just leave the way wide open for him and his schemes. I think Crystal Ball would be a very fascinating addition to the Suicide Squad because he'd kind of join it willingly. Hmm. That said, when you consider that there's a zombie and a robot, which are two things that can't really be persuaded by his powers, he's really going to try and keep Slice and Dice close at hand for personal protection. But I think that dynamic kind of works out. Over to you, Paul. Okay. Brace yourselves. There's already an evil human being that is within G.I. Joe's ranks. And his codename is Spearhead. Okay? This guy (laughs) is a jock insurance salesman. I mean, you don't get more evil than that. And then he decides, oh, well, you know what? He can use his skills on the battlefield? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Jokes aside, though. These are sort of broken into scenarios, but... How I would do it was, I had originally thought uh, of the Bat, the Battle Android Trooper, was one of my first choices as well. Uh, Mm. This is actually a thought that came to me uh, when I got my Bat a few years ago. And I was sort of playing out this whole story of what happened is this Bat was built by Cobra and it had a, a science team that was developing the sort of AI and how that all works. And Cobra, not being big on the payment, decided to trash the lab, steal the technology and, you know, one of the guys, the tech guys, decided, well, he knows he's going to die. So he sort of, for months, he had been using his own sort of uh, thinking processes as part of his um, AI experiments. So a lot of his sort of mental algorithms and things like that are on disk already. And what he kind of did is just figured out a way or maybe created a precursor to the brainwave scanner. You didn't happen created... to watch that movie with Johnny Depp, did you? No? What movie with Johnny Depp? Transcendence. Oh, I must check that out. Is that? Oh, okay. Is that what that's about? <laughs> but yeah, so what he's what he did is, is uh, with the prototype of the brainwave scanner, he uh, downloaded his brain into some technology, and um, upon Cobra's imminent but uh, completely, you know, unexpected betrayal, uh, he managed to download part part of his consciousness into this technology and assume the body of a bat and managed to get away. And Joe's find this bat and realize there's something different about it when it's not trying to just outwardly kill them, saves the character, and they think, oh, okay, well, this guy could be you know, something special. But because of what he is, they can't really keep him on the flag or keep him on any bases. They have to kind of keep him separated in a special base, and that requires money and stuff. So it you know, spearheads uh, a few thoughts about you know, Cobra, uh, captured Cobra operatives like Toxo Viper that's seen the bad side of the life, uh, he was involved in a lot of Cobra experiments on mass populations uh, in terms of distributing viruses and peptides and things like that into the water to get people to be more sort of uh, agreeable and also creating sort of uh, diseases Ebola. and things. No, well, yeah, but yeah, exactly. They would be testing sort of de- designer genetic weapons. Eventually, his conscience started uh, getting the better of him because 
it's an oversight by Cobra, but because these guys are in le- leaky suits, they're in just as much danger as the people they're unleashing these weapons upon. And this guy has a bit of a revelation about that and, and completely defects and contacts, you know, tries to contact uh, G.I. Joe and gets rescued by the Joe team or exfiltrated by the Joe team to be used for information. And he tells him straight out that uh, he's got so many months to live and he is willing to die if it means that he can take down Cobra or at least, you know, hurt them badly. So we've got the sort of desperate vengeance guy. We've got the robot, so to speak, with the good scientist's brain in it. But, um, you know, there's a little bit of craziness there because we don't know how much of his soul, so to speak, is within the the machine. And um, we've got Billy. Billy um, has had an often uh, half-in, half-out relationship with uh, Cobra and his father. And he decides the right thing to do would be to to stop Cobra uh, in its tracks. Uh, obviously, Joe is very well aware of Billy and don't let him close in, but feel that he's a strong ringer. And in order to maintain this team, Storm Shadow volunteers, mostly because he has his own troubled past with Cobra. He's not afraid to kill. He is brave beyond words uh, in a lot of ways. He is uh, highly, a highly skilled individual and is strong enough to kill his own team if he needs to and can provide some kind of guidance for a character like Billy. And then last but not least is a Techno Viper who is a, an NSA, ex-NSA operative who gets uh, recruited by Cobra because he thinks that Cobra can't be worse than his own government and joins Cobra to take over the government and try to run the world's uh, intelligence network so that people can actually be free and thinks Cobra is the way to do that. Cobra presents itself as this sort of organization that does want to do that. And as he gets deeper and deeper in in the the coils of the Cobra organization, he finds that things are not as uh, clear cut and as sunny as he originally thought they would be. And uh, also decides to sort of siphon off uh, information into the um, digital black market and eventually is picked up by characters like Mainframe who uh, enlist his aid as a handler and he's a completely, he's a non-physical entity in the team so he, he plays this role of does he really exist, are we being messed with and, and he provides a sort of uh, oracle as a chaotic good. So he is essentially helping to feed intelligence to this team and this is what this team acts on, this is what this team, this is the information that this team uses to go and find Cobra, safe houses, weapon caches, torture dens, initiation blocks, that kind of thing. That would be my Suicide Squad, codenamed Janus. Interestingly enough, you've said that word uh, earlier today in the show. And why, why are you codenaming it Janus? Because it's the sort of multi-phase... Because it rhymes with A. <laughs> no, it's a it's multifaceted. It's, it hasn't just got one face. You've got a, a bunch of operatives here that you can't trust, but they all have some form of functionality, and it would be a waste to imprison these men because they are actually too skilled or not afraid of, of the death sentence and not afraid of being imprisoned. And you can't do anything with them and it would be a waste to kill them because of all the information that these guys have. So, I like it, Paul. I like it a lot. I'm glad that you like it because I, I thought about this long and hard, actually, because this is the kind of thing I love thinking of in my Joeverse. And as a last little, you know, cherry on the top, the Shadow Tracker. Shadow Tracker and Spirit are... Uh, 
meet each other in an operation. Spirit is cut off from his team after the DC-10 gets shot down. Uh, Spirit manages to make it out, but ends up in a remote jungle and is tracked by the Shadow Tracker. The Shadow Tracker learns that his Native American quarry is actually a pretty cool guy and they share a love for haiku and bananas. They become great friends and the Shadow Tracker says, Fuck Cobra, I want a Joe. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> Spirit says, How do you get such luscious dreadlocks? <laughs> Shut up, Freedom. I'm having a discussion. <laughs> <laughs> it is awesome. We've come up with a very, very interesting group of people. Well, Stephen's picks almost seem like half of them seem unable to realize who they're working for. <laughs> While the other guys are sort of like amoral. They're like, hey, you pay us more. We're more than happy to work for you. And and also someone who's sort of in it for himself. And it kind of sounds the same way for some of, some of Paul's guys. You know, they kind of they they have reasons to sort of like go against Cobra. Um, and I quite like that. And it seems to be it's sort of a thread almost. Like everyone has a reason for why they want to take down Cobra almost. Yeah. I want to turn this topic on its head. Gentlemen, who are the most likely G.I. Joe characters to turn Cobra? I thought about this one too. Oh, did you know? Ah, I have, so. yeah. <laughs> Should I start or do you want to go, Steve, seeing as you nominated it? <laughs> <laughs> You've been doing all the thinking, Paul. So oh, okay. think out loud, buddy. <laughs> I'll think out loud. Okay, let's just erase obvious choices. Chuckles and Scoop and Sneak Peek. Uh, these are three characters <laughs> that are notorious in the Joeverse for being on enemy lines. What about Dusty? Okay. Um, Dusty is a turncoat in the cartoon. <laughs> Two-parter two called The Traitor, featuring the traitor. Dusty being a traitor. Oh, my my mother's in the hospital. I gotta be a cobra now. Oh, the intrigue. <laughs> was it his mother? Was his grandmother or something? Oh, dear. But, uh, uh, really tugging at the heartstrings there, friends. I am going to mix up the cartoon verse, though, uh, into this discussion, because I feel that it's an integral part of the G.I. Joe mythos in a lot of ways, uh, even though it doesn't um, seamlessly like sort of meet each other in the middle in terms of canon, but uh, Falcon. I see Falcon as the underappreciated smart kid. You know, you've you got a gifted soldier. He, uh, he's Green Beret. He's um, Special Forces trained. He's uh, indoctrinated by the sort of military sort of complex, but he's underappreciated. He's, he never gets to actually go on mission. We, we, we see very little Falcon action. The few times that he does, he gets into a lot of trouble. And I'm talking about the cartoon here, not so much the comic. But we just got an underappreciated co- a character here, one who's overshadowed by his brother, Duke. And I feel that this is the kind of character that would get very um, frustrated and would leave military service to pursue private military ideas. And would very unknowingly fall into Cobra's trap by taking a lot of assignments that are for Cobra, but not but not being really aware that it's Cobra itself, you know, because Cobra are very sneaky and, and stuff, of course. I mean, and now we're crossing, now we're transcending into real world, world from cartoon verse here. But uh, I sort of see that happening to him. I see that as a, uh, I see Falcon as a character that could uh, sort of be a, a bit of a turncoat um, in a lot of ways. I mean, obviously, I'm not trying to pick underutilized Joes here as my potential 
uh, Cobra recruits. I see Mercer flip-flopping quite a bit, honestly. Yeah, I was it ever really detailed as to why yeah. he left Cobra? Yeah, sort I mean, of he just could says, be a blunt. Ex-Cobra Viper who saw the light. Well, he might just decide to see the dark again, buddy. Cause, don't hold your breath. Because <laughs> that's the thing as well, right? I mean, you got a character that has um, turned his back on Cobra, and like you said, there's no true, there's no serious motivation. This is a man that turned his back on an organization that specializes in indoctrination, brainwave scanning, and brainwave manipulation. Has a character called Crystal Ball. Has a uh, an accountant dressed as a falcon. Eh, you know, these are some serious dudes. These are not dudes that are going to just let people slip through the cracks that easily. And it requires a certain amount of intelligence. I don't think Mercer possesses that. I think Mercer is very much a plant in the G.I. Joe team or is, well, is a plant. Mm, He's that, a sleeper that kind agent. kind of brings me to the parallel that this Suicide Squad idea has in actual G.I. Joe. And that is Slaughter's Renegades. Now, the Renegades aren't allowed into official G.I. Joe. That's how I read that organization. It's like, Same you guys here. are not G.I. Joes. You're probationary. Like, we're not going to let you in on our top secret stuff. You are going to do some wet work for us, but you're going to be the Sarge's responsibility. And if needs be, the Sarge is going to cut you loose. Uh, put the dogs down. Exactly. Yeah. If you lie down with dogs, you get up with fleas. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you keep the Sarge large. And in charge. <laughs> believe it. Any suggestions from you, Rob? Um, I, I, I think perhaps someone like CoverGirl. She's a fashion model. She became uh, disillusioned with modeling. So what says she doesn't become disillusioned with being on the G.I. Joe team? Let's be serious. A fashion model that got dis- disillusioned with being a fashion model and wanting yeah, to go full on military? That is pretty suspicious. Definitely. That, and... that sounds like a damn good cover story. Excuse the pun. <laughs> and you know with the the advent of genetic manipulation i mean perhaps you know she's quite vain and she wants to kind of stay young forever and cobra can offer that to her exactly look at domino harvey for example i mean yeah. she was a model she was a successful model and decided she hated the life because the woman was clearly a little bit bonkers actually and she really despised the sort of american or the suburban dream and decided she wanted more excitement in her life, and that required lots and lots of drugs and uh, shooting people that were bad. <laughs> I recently read that in the IDW comics, being published now, that there's going to be a new series of comics coming out where Snake Eyes is featured as an agent of Cobra. Mm. Yeah, apparently he hasn't been featured in the comics for quite a few months, and now his big return is in, a, I think, a miniseries. Where now it turns out he is a cobra. They're getting mm. bored. <laughs> <laughs> I flirted with that idea in our movie pitch episode. You did. If it's done you convincingly, it, it could be interesting. I just, you know, it always seems to me like it's a bit forced. But cool, I'll be intrigued to see what happens. What if Cobra Commander... Becomes a Joe! I know, right? What? Wow. No, no. What if Cobra Commander really was a Joe to begin with? And the whole used car salesman story is a complete fabrication, which it probably is. And uh, 
he was one of the original sort of guys that came up with G.I. Joe when G.I. Joe was still like, you know, Team Delta. It was operating before they had a proper code name and everything. And he saw the life and he saw shit things and he decided, no, this is not the government he wants to be part of. And started Cobra by using some of the tactics that the government uses to build up armies to, to rally support, to create positive propaganda to get people in line. Well, he's a disgruntled uh, military officer who wants to step outside of the restrictions of politicians. Of course. And rather call the shots himself. He envisions a better way. He's got the muscle to do it and the wherewithal and the knowledge. So he does it. He does it. And he goads the military regime to join him. Join me. And overthrow these tin pot politicians and dictators and despots. <laughs> Might is right. Hmm. Salvo. Salvo's a cobra. Fuck it. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> the right of might. Well, in good old Mark Bellamo's book, My Pick for Joe's most likely to be Cobras is on that very page, along with Salvo. And this is obscure, so get ready to hit yojo.com, listeners. But in 1990, they produced a figure called Pathfinder. Uh. And he's one creepy motherfucker. <laughs> he decided to join G.I. Joe so that he could get money to pay for his education so that he could become the governor of Florida <laughs> and protect his cypress swamp from developers, poachers, and polluters. Uh-oh. Okay, he might, he might have a problem with cesspool's agenda in that regard, but, like, what a wonky reason to join G.I. Joe. And that's assuming G.I. Joe just allow membership to anyone who wants to, I don't know, fund their college education. I mean, he's just all kinds of weird. And his appearance freaks me out to this day. <laughs> yeah. I like fire engines. <laughs> my ass. I call them. Ass fire engines. <laughs> Not to mention the fact that he comes with an arsenal that effectively combines, <laughs> I suppose, what you've got with the Crimson God Immortal and beefs up the caliber somewhat, and a weapon better reserved for a dreadnought. Yeah. I mean, it's Sorana's Zorana's blade saw. But like scaled up for the Joes, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I, I I'm pretty sure he's not just using that on plant matter, because let's face it, I want to protect my big beloved cypress swamp from developers, poachers, and polluters. So yeah, he's probably laying into dudes with this this sort of spinning saw blade. Well, Jason, for he's like extremely <laughs> questionable with his creepy pedophilic glasses his <laughs> crocodile dundee hat and hunting jacket uh, no man this guy's all kinds of wrong so I'm sorry if I offended all the Pathfinder fans out there but uh, you got one so creepy Joe so who would be the, the liaison or who would be who would be the G.I. Joe in charge of the Suicide Squad 
Like, who would be handing out their missions? Pathfinder. (laughs) (laughs) I like handing out missions when they're in my ass. I call them ass hands. (laughs) Operation 7-Eleven. The girl behind the counter is a cutie and I want to see how she works. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, Rob, but I think I'm drawing a blank on that regard. You kind of blindsided me there. Who would be the G.I. Joe liaison with the Suicide Squad? Uh, Duke. Assuming we even call him that. Duke. Yeah. Nazi Duke's a robot. Boy. Yeah, whatever. Duke's a robot. Firstly, Do you think he's, he's going to pollute his pure Aryan blood with mingling with these, these crazies? Well, you know, firstly, he's an Aryan. Secondly, I reckon he's a robot because that's why he manages to get kidnapped in in, in the G.I. Joe to, uh, cartoon a lot. Because what happens is they have to kidnap him so that Cobra Commander can get all the can download all the files onto a flash stick or something to to get all the the Joe intel that he needs. <laughs> because Duke is just his robot clone, <laughs> you know. Duke's just a dick. I don't know. I think I'm gonna have to. Um, I'm being be rather shit, unoriginal and just go with Sergeant Slaughter. If he can whip three renegades into gear, maybe he can whip a couple more cobras into gear. Mm. He might have a bit of difficulty with the toxo zombies, but like I say, just attach a leash to them, give them something to do during the day, and like just unleash them on cobra and a okay. Just kick them out of the cargo door. <laughs> just get them to watch uh, reality TV the whole day, so they get really, really, really angry, and then. <laughs> Kick him out the yeah, cargo door, like you said. Dance moms, anyone? Yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> Damn. How about you, Rob? Do you have someone in mind? I defaulted to Duke as well. There were certain comics, not the G.I. Joe run, but the um, Devil's Do one, where it kind of seemed like he did have these shady operations that he did separate from the rest of the Joes. So it kind of did seem like, even though he was a poster boy for the U.S. military type guy, there were things that he was maybe not willing to do, Nazi. but like like he felt had to be done. The way that they almost portrayed him there was like he was like the the Jack Bauer of, of G.I. Joe. Man, please. All he did was he slipped out to go to his local clan meetings where he dressed up as a KKK wizard, okay, <laughs> got drunk with his friends, shot up the locals, felt good about himself and came back. Okay, <laughs> Aryan supremacist asshole that he is. <laughs> Jeez, we're leveling some pretty sharp accusations at Duke these days. <laughs> Guys, he's a real American hero. And then he's like, yeah. and then you know what he was like, what he went and did, like one of the worst things that Duke ever did. He's like, oh, they're making a movie on Joe Joe. Well, I want that Channing Tatum guy to play me because he's a real cutie. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck my life. <laughs> 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 oh wow! Um, or or Mercer, even. I mean, okay, he's. I mean, he defected to Joe. Jo. I mean, he's probably proven himself over the years, and he has, you know, in a you know knowledge of the inner workings of Cobra. So probably, yeah, and he knows more than anyone else that even big bad Cobras need air conditioning. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I, I think Mercer would, Mercer would be a good choice, but. Paul, you mentioned with putting Billy on the team, you would put Storm Shadow on the team. Yeah. So, I mean, perhaps like Mercer and Storm Shadow would be kind of be in, in charge. I'm sure yeah. they'd get along famously. Well, mm. the thing is, 
you know, Snake Eyes as a character is, is somebody who's not always documented by the rest of the team. He reports, in my mind, he reports directly to Hawk. And uh, I would imagine that he gets his orders straight from Hawk and gives them to Storm Shadow, you know, who can actually deliver them without uh, the use of uh, finger puppets or drawings. And, uh, and, and Charades. <laughs> Charades. Two because words. He knows First word. One Short thing assassination. Word. <laughs> Kill. <laughs> Movies. Books. <laughs> Action. Kill. <laughs> Who are we killing? Who is it? One flew over the cuckoo's nest. Jack Nicholson. We're killing Jack Nicholson. No, okay, okay we're not killing guys. Jack Nicholson. But he probably like hand delivers these orders to like Storm Shadow, for example. Because one of the big differences that you know, we have gleaned from the comic books and, and from the Resolute animated series is that the difference between Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow is that Snake Eyes resents killing, but he will do it because he has to or will do it when it's necessary, whereas Storm Shadow has no problem killing people, whether he hates it or not. He has no problem doing it. He he will kill quite happily. And You're pulling this directly from Resolute. Well, pretty That's much, not- but... No, but this is a conversation I had with a Joe fan before Resolute even existed. And we also discussed how Storm Shadow doesn't have that many qualms. It's not, yes, he has a lot of personal demons, but he still has not had problems killing people. You know, it's it's heavily suggested that, you know, he doesn't mind it. It's not, he's training allows for that. Ninjas are not trained to half kill people. They full kill people. <laughs> There's no beating up somebody to a point because, you know, if somebody's trying to kill you, you don't hit them softly, you fight for your life. Storm Shadow is just on another level where he can turn people's on buttons off and kill them. <laughs> and he has no <laughs> problems with it. He has no qualms. He's got all this ninja whammer jammer mindset shit that he can just lock all that those memories up if he needs to. That's, well, that's, he, he must have killed some people. I mean, especially, I mean, he infiltrated Cobra what, to get to Cobra Commander. And to get to prove himself and to get so close to Cobra Kawadi, he had to kill. He had to have killed a bunch of people. So obviously, I'm not depending on, that, on, yeah, but, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you, you're disputing. He enjoys it. Yes. Uh, yeah. Okay. Let, Commit, let me, perhaps not enjoyment, but it's sort of. It, it's not a burden on him. In pursuit of an ideal or a, an idea, he he is willing to go to almost anything. Yeah. So essentially, he's, he's kind of actually he's the Jack Bauer of JoJo. I would actually say the Jack Bauer of G.I. Joe is Chuckles, but personally. <laughs> but, but yeah, Storm Shadow is not held back. Um, I mean, that issue where Storm Shadow puts Snake Eyes through that Arashikage mindset because he's trying to help Snake Eyes get over stuff. Get over and the Snake Eyes Scarlet is in a coma and she's slipping away. Exactly. And what does Snake Eyes go and do? He's like an unsheathed blade in the dark. In like a Eastern Bloc country, <laughs> kills left, right, and center, you know, because it shows that this man's inhibitions are what really keeps uh, him, uh, people alive around him. Whereas Storm Shadow was like, oh fuck. <laughs> I don't think Storm Shadow is that cavalier, to be honest. I mean, one of his uh, guiding philosophies is that we study violence with the ultimate goal being the on- abolition of yeah. violence. Yeah, but Storm Shadow failed at that because. He was still jealous. You know, there was a jealousy there. But you know, he, was he, a much, he was a much younger man back then. 
Oh, that's true too. I like he was in his early twenties when him and Snake Eyes have their falling out, and he turns to Cobra. But after having worked his way up the Cobra ranks, aging within the Cobra ranks to the master that he becomes, I think he adapts his his views on killing somewhat. But anyway, this is but, but yeah, but fascinating but, page. This is cool stuff. I enjoy this. Speaking of the sort of Jack Bauer of G.I. Joe, um, <laughs> who, in my opinion, is Chuckles. I know that earlier in the show I mentioned it, but none of us brought this character up, and I think it's because as the, the trio, us, we are smart enough not to fall for the typical sort of G.I. Joe tropes. But Chuckles is a very interesting character, so much so that you know he pretty much gets his own series in, in G.I. Joe, that G.I. Joe Cobra series. I think he's such a cool character, and I think he really is the Jack Bauer. He is the guy who has to make really tough calls. Uh, he has to do some pretty unfortunate things to to sort of help America's freedom, the world's freedom, save the world from Cobra. You know, and that that's a conflicted man. That's a but I don't see him as a turncoat ever. I never see mm-hmm. him as somebody who's going to turn his back on GI Joe because to be that deep. Yeah, it's going to mess you up mentally. I see him as being stronger than that. I, I've always liked that character, and it's actually a character that, as I've gotten older, I've learned how to appreciate character like that. I just That's think why. in his position, you're so deep in that you tend to not really the recognize what it is you're fighting for anymore. Yeah. So, um, am I just trading one military regime for another? Like, if the, the world is at war with itself. Like... How am I supporting these guys and their way of life over these guys and their way of life? What makes it better? What? Yeah, that's so. I mean, that's that's Chuckles' conflict. I don't know how he maintains his moral compass in GI Joe Cobra. It's it's interesting to watch. I don't well, imagine read lots of drugs. <laughs> <laughs> or it could be. I mean, it could be the challenge of maintaining a cover. Sort of like he he knows who he is. But he kind of picks up that challenge and sees, can he actually fool these people well enough to actually get the information he needs? So it's like mm. an ego thing? Like an ego thing, almost like a game. You know? I mean, even from his file card, I mean, he's a, he seems to be an exceptionally likable guy. So he's always cracking jokes, punching shoulders, etc., while, while doing, doing everything else. I mean, he, he's a showman, essentially, like a magician. You know, he's sort of distracting the people around him. You know, making sure that they don't realize he isn't who he says he is while he's he's getting on with the job. You know who reminds me of Chuckles hmm? as well? Zartan. Zartan could, in a lot of ways, be Chuck, uh, a Chuckles type of character that does cross that line. Well, do we ever see them in the same room together? Hmm. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Chuckles could be one of his <laughs> his characters. Chuckles, Chuckles, for all we know, could be Zartan's real face. Yeah, exactly. You know, and he doesn't even realize when he, you know, he sort of has that split, a schizophrenic split, and he, you know, he's in the Zartan. What about the Jesus beard? (laughs) (laughs) Zartan? I don't know any Zartan. Oh, I can't help but light up like a lightsaber. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) Oh, sunlight. I I still don't know the sunlight. Wow, what a wide-ranging topic this has wound up being. Started off as a Suicide Squad suggestion, and now we're talking how Chuckles keeps a cool head 
when everyone else is losing theirs. And Definitely. He could, in of... fact, be Zartan. Could Definitely. be. Definitely. He could be Zartan. So, so once again, thanks, and... Dave Cabal. Definitely. Um, but what I want to ask the thing, I'm just wondering, like, what do we think of the validity? Like, what, what is the likelihood of the existence of such a team? Would G.I. Joe actually employ a team like this? I'm going I think to say the, yes. the Renegades is as far as they go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I, going, you were going to say yes, Paul. No, I'm saying I'm going to say yes because current militaries today use private military forces, use mercenaries. They dish out a deck of 51 with you know some of the world's most wanted you know terrorists and things like that on them. These are not tropes. These are real things. Okay. These private military contractors go out there and they kill these guys for governments unofficially. But there's they a world they of get difference. But Paul, there's a world of mm. difference between hiring a private military organization to take out ISIS cells and then hiring captured ISIS members to take out ISIS cells. You're not going to no. put a rifle in the hands of a true believer and tell him to kill his own. Otherwise, we're going to send you to jail. Or worse, we're going to kill you. I mean, these guys believe in jihad. <laughs> exactly. But that, die. what do you do then if you don't have a facility for people that have that potential? So if you are a, a, a specialized military force like G.I. Joe and you are encountering people that are actually military assets, but you can't put them in a prison and you can't kill them and killing them is actually too costly in terms of the intelligence debt uh, that you could accrue from it what do you do with them you know you turn the dogs on their masters and that's what you do osama bin laden would have been a wealth of information but they made sure that he did not make the trip back that is true but then you you you, don't leave that opening for you know a media sensation no you deal with things discreetly Quietly, and you make sure that dead terrorists stay dead. Exactly. Terrorists. So you take advantage of the guys that understand that. You take advantage of, and I'm sorry that I'm bringing my guys into it to help strengthen my point, but but you take the guys that, for example, have nothing to lose, are being very discreet about communicating with the Joe Force, are using sort of black market information channels to get hold of GI Joe. Um, to secure the exfiltration. I mean, this kind of thing does happen where... Defectors. Defectors. Well, then um, they've gone over willingly. Well, and exactly, I do also but... buy your scenario about the scientist in fear of his life uploading his consciousness into a battle android trooper. But yeah. then again, he was never really in league with Cobra to begin with. No, he wasn't. But, but um, the, he becomes a trump card because... How much of him is really human? How much of him is dependable? And at the end of the day, you know, G.I. Joe is looking at at him more like a giant flash drive with machine guns that's got all kinds of encryption. And he's hiding, uh, now that I'm thinking about it, you know, he's he's holding onto this information because he knows that they can deactivate him at any time. They don't have to put up with him being, uh, you know, sort of sentient. But he knows that if he plays these cards right, he could let information out bit by bit like breadcrumbs till he gets what he wants. You know, and that's a logical thing. That's a logical way of thinking. But um but (laughs) 
there's two sides to that story. And I, I think to look at this in a very black and white manner would be dangerous. And, and that is the beauty of some, of something like a suicide squad. It does provide all of these shades of gray. It does create all of this texture, at least from a fictional point of view for a story, you know, for, for creating interesting fiction, creating interesting worlds, characters, events. Mm -hmm. We don't have to always tie the real world in too much because we live in the real world. We play that game every day and not all of us love it. That's why we have our hobbies. So live seems... in your world, play in ours. Isn't it PlayStation 3? <laughs> yep. So it seems, Paul, you think definitely that they would have a suicide squad. And Fully. Steven... I, I, I to this day believe the term wet work, black box operation, all of those things, they're all there. They're there for a reason. It's because they these guys exist. Mm. And Stephen, you think think they the closest that G.I. Joe would get to this sort of thing is the Renegades. Well, I personally think there's a big difference between the original Suicide Squad and a concept like this in the G.I. Joe universe. Whereas the Suicide Squad, I mean, it's composed of super supervillains. I mean, in themselves, I mean, they all have their own ideologies. You know, they're not necessarily always on the side of good, not necessarily always on the side of bad. They're almost always in it for themselves. And the big difference, I think, between that, the DC version of this, and the G.I. Joe version of this is that the people that have been captured from Cobra, they did believe for a very long time in this sort of cultish idea, these, these very, very strong ideals of Cobra. It's very shared. It's a shared world vision. I don't think that this is really a possibility in the G.I. Joe universe because of the, the makeup, the sort of the mental makeup of the people that they would sort of be trying to convert into, you know, people they could throw back at Cobra. So in essence, what you're saying is it's a kind of clause within the G.I. Joe-verse that if it's proven fallible, sort of destroys the, the G.I. Joe universe, it kind of makes it too watery, too... It, it it blows the line too much between sort of good and evil. Yeah, is I that, think is, so. Yeah. Because, I mean, it, I mean, Georgia, you know, isn't necessarily completely black and white. I mean, you do have sort of gray areas. But at least the superhero universe, I mean, villains, is the way that they have been sort of characterized them over the last 30 years or so. It is gray. I mean, they're not necessarily evil. They're just bad people. Or you not know? even. They're vigilantes. Peacemaker, for instance, he... Mm. They had a one-man war on crime, did it very yeah. violently, and I guess that kind of got the ire of, of the more clean-cut superheroes. Didn't quite like the idea of this son of a Nazi war criminal just going out there and annihilating people. Yeah, mm -hmm. and I mean, also some of them are basically just very basic criminals with, with perhaps abilities, you know, like Captain Boomerang. I mean... He just likes being a criminal and, and sort of not living on the side of the good. You know, he just enjoys the life of making his own decisions and doing his own thing. And, you know. and questions. And throwing that's... boomerangs. And throwing bo boomerangs at Flash and the, the, the challenge, you know, of sort of taking on the, this, this sort of um, goody two-shoes guy. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, they all have their own reasons for, for doing what they're doing. They, they want to get on with their own lives, and that's why it kind of makes it appealing to be part of the Suicide Squad. The reason why they're on it is so that they can commute their prison centers and just get over with this and get back to their lives, even if, even if the chance is slim. You know, if you, if you consider that, you know, like the Suicide Squad would essentially be going in and taking out these really hard targets, who are these hard targets? What, what could G.I. Joe be so afraid of that they need this kind of team? 
you know, like a, a dirty dozen kind of team? Like, what could they really be afraid of? I mean, they seem to have Cobra pretty under control, and if, as long as Cobra's around, they still get a paycheck. I think of it less as what G.I. Joe is afraid of and more a case of what G.I. Joe just doesn't want to concern itself with. Ah, true. It's like, we've got this expendable unit, we've got this target of opportunity, let's just throw these guys at it, and whatever happens, we can pick up the pieces afterwards. Correct. There's no fucking way we're sending our guys in there. Forget about it. Do you guys agree that G.I. Joe in a lot of ways is disavowed by the government? Like, for example, if a Joe member is killed in battle, um, that the record of his death never mentioned publicly, uh, there's no public records of his service or any of that, and that he essentially dies as a fictional character, you know? Do you guys believe in that concept? Uh, Because the actual Marvel run of G.I. Joe that I've read has never really insinuated that they are disavowed. It's just that they're top secret. So I how think do you... when you're dead, you are effectively declassified. I mean, you get your your six feet of prime real estate at Arlington National Cemetery. Mm. You get a burial. Mm. You're not going to have your full military records available. I mean, it's going to say something like, worked at the heavy machinery motor pool at the chaplain Chaplains. assistance School at what Fort Wadsworth? It's not going to say. Very suspicious. Flew so around the world and you know eliminated terrorist threats from the the ultra hush hush Cobra organization. No, no, it's uh, it's going to be somewhat watered down. Dead soldier gets some kind of closure. You you do get buried, surely. Because I mean the thing is like the idea of being disavowed is very interesting to me in my personal Joe fiction at least where I have a lot of conflict with the idea because in one side. Of it, these guys are essentially saying goodbye to their families. You know, they they sort of disavowing everything that they have made in the world, all the relationships that they've had. So these guys are essentially dead anyway, you know, but they're not really expendable. And now they kind of leave lead an empty life. I mean, these guys, in a lot of ways, GI Joe in itself is cult is a cult. You know, you have to be very dedicated, and uh, they have quite a big membership. That's quite a, a large roster of uh, men and women that serve a government agency that have very cheerful personality types in certain regards, considering that they could po- very possibly be a, a group of, you know, expendables, so to speak. Um, I've often thought about this, and I've tried to justify it in my mind, having these extremely dedicated soldiers who live only to do their duty. And I thought to myself... No, man, this just doesn't add up. Joes need, Joes need leave, and they need to be able to have relationships and families outside of G.I. Joe. And they need to be able to, to leave the service if you know it becomes an untenable situation. Correct. I mean, by being in G.I. Joe, you are dedicated to what G.I. Joe does, but you don't stop being a human being. Correct. And if, because, if you yeah. choose to walk away... That is your decision. It's a job like any other. It's not like you're bound in blood. You can give yeah. your notice and you can leave. Of course. But yeah, Paul, I don't I don't think G.I. Joe are a bunch of robots or a cult. I'd like to think of it as you know, a pretty standard military unit with just a few more layers of secrecy. Mm. And you, Rob? How do you feel? 
I'm I'm probably more more on the side of of Stephen on this. I I never really thought they were disavowed. I mean, there's even that issue with, with you know what's his name was it Grunt who went home to his hometown and uncovered the uh, clutch. Clutch. It was clutch. clutch yes. uh, and then his buddy was building a yeah that little jetpack pack or something. Yeah. Yeah. Clutch um, goes home the hard way. <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, there, there were, I mean, I, I can't think of any other examples, you know, offhand, but I mean, there were examples of them going home, you know, and actually being able to see their families. So, and yeah, I never really thought of them as being like, like super top secret if they died, basically got a little star, you know, in, in, in the, uh, <laughs> in the workshop. <laughs> yeah. No, no, but. Little but star on the wall of the pit somewhere. But you see, now, th- this is why I'm conflicted and why I find this idea personally challenging because I kind of like both. I do like the heavily laden personality-based Joe's breaker with his bubble gum and these characters all having this real personality because that makes them human beings that are soldiers, that are characters, and, it- and it's great and I love that. I mean, that's what makes G.I. Joe. That's what makes G.I. Joe more than a static green army man. I've had that idea for my whole life. Now I have this other idea in my head where, wow, these are really a bunch of lonely, grizzled bastards that are actually kind of run by the government like like a pack of dogs. And they go in there and they do serious damage. And it's a smaller team. And, you know, there's a lot of distrust and a lot of anger. But when they work together as a unit, they really like, you know, they, they really come together and they're compact and dangerous. And and it's just an idea I like to float with, and it's just something I wanted to put out there and, and just see mm. how, what you guys thought. Because IDW, I would say, is the sort of genesis of this kind of thinking for me in that they had that zero issue that came out on a free comic book day, and it was all about Duke's uh, recruitment into the Joad squad, and it had uh, Hawk assembling an M1911, and uh, he puts one up in the chamber, and he's talking to Duke, and basically Duke turns around and says, yeah, no, I want to be part of this team. And he's like, good, because this bullet was for you if you said no, kind of thing. No, bullshit. He said, "Um, you were going to shoot me if I said no, right? Yeah, that's why I said a moment. No, son, we're the good guys. Don't you ever forget that. Yeah, but like I said, that's... I have a sister in Spokane. (laughs) Dude, what a pussy. But what I'm getting at is... (laughs) That, that was the genesis of that thinking. So that's how I've always remembered that comic. And that's why I, I put a disclaimer out there because I wasn't going to quote it verbatim because I don't know it verbatim because I know what I took from it. And that's what came out now. So that's yeah, where, I, where I also took that from, from that comic book and thinking like, whoa, does that mean all the Joes are deceased? Like prisoners. Yeah. They're yeah, not yeah, disavowed. Like... They are, for all intents and purposes, and to, according to their families and their loved ones, they are dead. Once you become a G.I. Joe, it is such a top-secret membership that you are dead. This is Larry Harmon's idea. And hmm. I I don't know, man. I, I'm not, I didn't really follow that comic run, so I Neither don't know where I. Larry, Larry Harmon took that. But as a former serviceman himself, does he not think as far as, like, how do you keep the morale of a unit like that intact? If they're hmm. not allowed contact with the outside world. You're keeping ultra tight lid on security, but like these are human beings. How mm-hmm. do you, how do you keep them interested in the country that they are trying to protect if Very they have true. zero access to that country? Very true, um, and that's and that answer is Cobra. 
you know what co whatever cobra is doing that's that's the answer to that and and how do you draw the parallel between the blue and the red lasers now you know when when you have a joe team that's essentially like you said automatons but with you know souls and you know are now jaded mindless automatons it it, it doesn't compute and there I, aren't I, any tauntauns in gi joe tauntauns <laughs> what are you talking about inside. owl but you get what I'm getting at. Uh, get what you're getting at, man. Well, yeah. the Suicide Squad idea definitely took us in a lot of very interesting places. And once again, I have to thank David Cabal for this very cool idea. And I hope this encourages other listeners. If you have an idea or something you want to hear us talk about and we think it's cool, put it out there. You know, <laughs> no contact judgment. us. No, <laughs> no judgment. judgment. Any idea, like if if you want us to kind of like discuss what were the girlfriends or boyfriends of uh, the GR Joes like, like, hey, like which GR Joes do you think are gay or bi? Um, and that's an interesting topic <laughs> in itself. You'd laugh, but that's an interesting topic. I mean, you know, we live in a world where that's not seen as a negative. And okay, when I say we live in a world, ideally the world is waking up to the idea of that not being that a negative, now. and and that's that's a good thing. How does having a gay G.I. Joe impact the fan base? <laughs> That's an, that would be a cool topic. Well, <laughs> join us in episode 46, G.I. Joe Burgers. Perhaps that's what we're going to talk about. Or maybe an idea that you come Look up with. your pretty hats. <laughs> so get hold of us on Facebook or Twitter or on our Podbean page. Or go check out Steve's blog, Real South African Hero. <laughs> A blog that needs a little bit of uh, TLC, I imagine. Yeah, perhaps perhaps your comments will, will drive Stephen to produce new content. <laughs> Although, if you haven't had a chance, check out that uh, blog of Stephen's. It's got some fantastic photography and some very good uh, mini reviews and uh, slices of Stephen's Joe life. Which uh... mm, All right, if you must, a real <laughs> South African hero.blogspot.com. Yes, you heard right. I am a real South African hero. <gasps> and I'm going to just heap some praise on our regular commenters. It seems fans of G.I. Joburg have found a voice, and we love you for it. Thank you to everyone who's contacted us on Twitter, on Facebook, every which social media platform that uh, you can find our words and thoughts and podcasts we appreciate it it really does remind us that we're not just doing this for ourselves i mean we were happy doing it for ourselves but if we reach people and you guys enjoy what we're doing as well we just feel like a million bucks man Top totally of the world. this topic has got me all amped and excited and that's I can tell you guys. we're running into the two-hour mark. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> All right, it's time to let Steve get on with the editing. So this is episode 45 of G.I. Joburg. It's been a blast. If you're listening to this at night, good night. If you're listening to this in the afternoon, good afternoon. If you're listening to this in the morning, wow, you must really love us. <laughs> awesome. Thank you, everybody. This has been Rob. This is Paul saying full force. Thank Joe, you so much. bruh!